0: The simplicity of God's word when you start not overthinking it And it's just kind of there And uh, we have come through seven lessons Tonight we're going to start on the uh, eighth lesson And this is where it gets fun This is where it begins to kind of get to where you and I are The birth of the church in Acts 2.38 And what does it mean uh, to be saved You see, uh, when, when, when Jesus uh, in that birth of the church when, when Jesus was there on, the, on that mountaintop after he had resurrected, he had been seen of, of, of people. But he goes up there to that mountaintop, and he just prior to him ascending and going back to heaven, he looks at those disciples and those that are there around him, and he says to them, he says, I, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to tarry, I want you to wait until the promise uh, it comes, and you are endued with power on high. Now, tonight you ought to be able to see a little bit better the slides, and so Brother Andy's back there. Uh, I want you to put that first slide up, the birth of the church. You ought to be able to read them a little bit better. It's kind of uh, quite a bit larger, and and we're going to read some of the, the things that are on uh, those slides. But in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49... Jesus told them, he says, Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And and as you know, Luke wrote the book of Luke, but Luke also is the author of the book of Acts. And so what that means is that Luke just kind of ended the book of Luke and, and he didn't even hardly have to put the pen down and he began to write the book of Acts. They fit so perfectly together. Because Luke starts there in the book of Acts, and he begins to, to talk about some things that had to happen, and then he says that they were standing there, and Jesus looked at them and said, But you shall Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the earth. In that turn of phrase he covered everything this globe has to offer. That the salvation was not just going to be, this power was not just for the Jews, but it was for anybody and everybody that would receive it. And uh, I, I've, told you, I've told you this quite often. Jesus didn't have a plan B, at least as far as I know. He had entrusted this this new church. He had entrusted all that was going to happen. He entrusted it to those disciples and to those followers. And he was telling them, when I leave, you're going to continue the work that I started here and greater things than I have done, you're going to do. That's pretty powerful. And I'm thankful for that. And so it began there, I don't know all of what they did I don't know how it worked there in the upper room I don't know, I mean I know how many days it was Between the ascension and the upper room, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost But I don't know if they, if they preached each other I don't know if they prayed, I don't know if they sung But they were in there, they were waiting They were tarrying, and they were expecting Did they know exactly what to expect? No I'll tell you that I'm pretty confident that that the disciples fully expected a knock on the door and Jesus to walk in. That's kind of my my assumption. I think they expected that that they were going to pray and at some point Jesus was going to come back and say, yeah, I had to take care of a few things in heaven, but I'm back here. Let's go conquer the world. But it didn't happen that way. Instead, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were in all one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The best way I can describe this is if tonight um, you're, you're, you're at your house and uh, uh, you're at your house and it's kind of dark, and I just happen to walk in your house and I open the door and I come into your house and I say hello and you don't recognize the voice that's kind of entering to your house, there would be some things that go through your mind. Some of you would run and scream, some of you would grab things that would hurt me and uh, we'd go like that. But, But if somebody was to say hello that you recognize their voice, Maybe a family member, maybe your mother or your dad that you haven't seen came, came uh, in for Christmas and they knock on the door and they walk in and you hear that voice. You, you may not have expected them like that, but you recognize that voice. Can I tell you that how it went down in the upper room, any other moment, any other time, it would have caused those people to run and hide. When Jesus walked on the water, uh, they thought he was a ghost and they didn't recognize him and they were ready to jump ship and, and, and run for their lives. But this time it was different because this time they recognized who it was. I know we talk about the fire. I know we talk about the speaking in other tongues. But can I just connect it to the prophecies and the words that Jesus said? Jesus said, I will come again. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come again. And if anybody would have recognized him, it was those people in that upper room. And they were there. It was incredible. It was a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. The cloven tongues, it looked like flames, sat down upon each of them. There was incredible things that began to happen. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues or speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. When they were filled with the Spirit, it was the initial sign of that infilling of the Holy Ghost that was there. and they began to speak in languages they did not know. This day of Pentecost, uh, remember it's not just because of, of Pentecostal churches or the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The day of Pentecost was a holy day, it was a feast day that took place 50 days after the Passover. During the feast of Pentecost, Jews from all over the world, the Roman Empire, they would gather at Jerusalem and they would have been there, it would have had a a festive atmosphere. They would have been, jobs were shut down. Schools would have been shut. It was an a exciting time. You're just kind of walking around. You're having fun. You're enjoying life. And suddenly this group of people, the, this huge crowd that was in Jerusalem, began to hear something coming out of those windows of that upper room. They kind of just stood there and listened. The Bible tells us that that there was people from so many different languages, so many different uh, 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 countries, and they began to say, we're hearing those people up there speak in our language. And they were glorifying and rejoicing God. Jesus had told the disciples in the book of John chapter 16, he says that one day, There's going to be a day that will come that your hearts will be so filled with joy that nothing can take that away. That's what that uh, Peter later said in 1 Peter, I think chapter 8, I mean chapter 1, verse 8, and we sing that song. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you're filled with his spirit, you can't really hide it. I'm just gonna tell you that. It's it's impossible to hide. They were there, and those disciples begin to kind of come down off of that and and they begin to look out the window and see this great crowd and people begin to say, what is going on? Y'all gotta be drunk. That that, that kind of clamor and that kind of excitement coming out of there, you've gotta be drunk and Peter walks out and I don't know, I've not been there uh, to, to the upper room, I don't know if he came all the way down the stairs or if there's a way he could do it from up there but he says, listen, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's too early, even if we were drunk. We wouldn't be drunk this early. And the coward of Calvary, the one that wouldn't even follow Jesus to his trial and denied and cursed, suddenly becomes the champion of this church and he begins to preach to them. And if you'll read the first part of of Acts chapter 2, you'll find that he preached from the Old Testament and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said this is the power that was preached. This is that, that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This was that, 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 that he promised us we are here. It is a fulfillment that God was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. When he gets done with this sermon, He's if he had a pulpit, he would have been pounding it. He is saying that God has made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ and that sermon, it gripped the hearts of those people that were around them. Finally, someone perhaps, or maybe a lot of them in the back, begin to cry out in desperation, tears, running down their face. Hey, what do we do with what we've just heard? That's what conviction does. Conviction is preaching the Word of God, and the, the one that's hearing the Word of God hears it, receives it, and then realizes there is an action that takes place. I'll just tell you that if we ever get to the place where we can preach and there be no action required after the sermon, we're in a dangerous place. And that goes for those who are filled with the Holy Ghost and been baptized and heard 9,426 sermons. Every sermon needs to have somewhere where you say, God, what do I do with what I've heard? So that question is given, what shall we do? I don't think there's any other question ever been asked in the history of this world that's as important as that question. What must I do to be saved? Peter didn't go to Bible college. Peter, I don't know how learned he was when it came to reading and writing and all of that, but Peter had walked with the Lord, but now he has something he has never had before. He has the Lord inside of him, working through him. And Peter simply answers that question without hesitation, without doubting, without even hardly taking a breath. He says, let me answer this question. Here's what you need to do to be saved. Then Peter said unto them, Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'll tell you right now, that's not the only verse you have to use or, or, or can use to talk about salvation. There are literally hundreds of verses in the Bible that all go together, but none of them are so succinct and so simple as that. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he says it, he, he, he ends it by saying, For the promise is unto you. It's to your children, it's to all that are far off, even as, the, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, let me help you out. The Bible also says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you want to know how many the Lord is willing to call, He said He is not willing that any should perish. Everyone born has this opportunity. He spoke some other words. He exhorted the crowds to save. The Bible tells us that by the time that he was preaching, done preaching, by the time the word of the Lord has done his works, some 3,000 souls were baptized in Jesus' name, and they were filled with his spirit. And it continued. The Bible says that became just almost a daily occurrence, and you can read through the book of Acts. I want to take these three elements, and I want to just break them down according to, to the lessons that we're doing the first one is repentance. Repentance, uh, one, one simple understanding is to experience sorrow and conviction over past sins and a turning away from future sins. It's more than just I'm sorry, but it's a desire to not do that again. A desire to change that repentance is so very, very important. Repentance, that first step, now I, I, the, the the other two steps, the baptism of Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost in, in my life and in my experience, those two can be interchangeable. You can I've seen people get baptized and then receive the Holy Ghost and I've seen people get the Holy Ghost and then get baptized. But I have never seen anyone do those two without repenting. Repenting is absolutely the first step to salvation It's to experience that godly sorrow and conviction for past sins and to turn away, as one writer said, resolutely from them. It's an act of turning away from sin and turning towards God. Repentance is essential to salvation. There is a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation will not turn you towards God. Condemnation will not turn you uh, and and, and cause you to repent But condemnation will drive you away Condemnation will, will cause you to commit suicide Condemnation will cause you to pull yourself in a corner And never talk to anybody again But conviction draws you closer to God There's two very different things The enemy condemns, the enemy accuses God convicts, brings you into His presence in, in the Bible, although there have been many different methods of salvation as the, the, the world unfelt, unfolded. So, for example, when, when it came time for uh, Noah, a manner of salvation was the ark. We don't need the ark today. Uh, for, for others, there were the, the for, for Moses and those that came after uh, Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. To be saved, you had to follow the commandments, you had to follow the law, you had to sacrifice. We don't have to do that today. God has provided that sacrifice once and for all. But there is one thing that all of those elements had in common, and that is all of them required repentance. The reason Sodom and Gomorrah was, was, was destroyed... And, and, and I know that we can look at the sins that they have done. We can look at the, the homosexuality that ran rampant. We can look at the lasciviousness. We can look at the murderous rage and drunkenness uh, that was there. But it boils down to this. God gave Sodom and Gomorrah a chance to repent, and they did not. So they were destroyed. Because it doesn't matter what the sin is. Repentance can cover, or if you will, repentance can, can bring you to the presence of God no matter what you've done. If you've told one... See, we, we as human beings, we have these levels of sin that we kind of grab hold on. And while I agree that there are levels of abhorrence and there may even be levels of, of social punishment or, or or criminal justice punishment, but I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible does not give us any room for for levels of sin when it comes to the the, the judgment that God is going to give us. If you tell one tiny lie... You're just as lost as the dude who was a serial killer or a child molester. We don't like to think that way because we like to be like the Pharisees and say, I thank God I'm not as bad as this person, right? I at least haven't killed anybody, God. That's got to count for something. And then all of a sudden in the back of your mind, the word of the Lord says, yeah, but have you ever been so angry? Because if you're angry, it's almost akin to murder, you know. Well, I've never cheated on my wife, yeah, but if you had those lustful thoughts, it's the same. So see, God doesn't have the levels. God says a tiny lie or a mass murderer. Every one of you needs to repent. One of the most beautiful stories. How many of you have been able to go to Branson, to the Sight and Sound Theater? Uh, how many of you have ever seen Jonah? Have you, have you? Were you able to see Jonah? I, I like uh, those. I enjoy watching plays and, 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 and musicals and dramas. And I've seen, I think, every one that, that they've put on in Branson. But I'm going to tell you, when Jonah, when, when Jonah, the play was going on, when they got to the place where, where Nineveh repented, I wanted so bad to get out of my little theater seat and just take a lap around that place because it just reminded me how awesome God's mercy and grace is. Because Jonah, the people of Nineveh, Jonah didn't even want to preach to him. This tells me that, that, that the power of the sermon does not rest on the preacher. Just just helping you out. Because Jonah was a horrible preacher. He did not want to preach. Jonah was preaching hoping they would burn. So So the power of the word does not rest in the preacher. The power of the word rests in God. And when they heard the word of God... That entire town repented. Incredible. And because they turned from their ways, God God saved them. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that that because of the people of Nineveh and what they happened, that that this would condemn those who refuse to repent now. Because if, if Nineveh could repent and God saved them, then we cannot escape repentance on our own. John the Baptist came. And he was a forerunner to Christ. He was leading us up to Christ. In fact, uh, I'm already working on my Easter 2018 sermon. And you want to be here because we're going to talk a lot about John the Baptist and some incredible things that happened in that forerunner to Jesus coming and what happened. But I'm going to tell you that, that John the Baptist, he preached repentance. Prepare your hearts for the kingdom of heaven. Prepare your hearts for what's about to come. This is why you have to repent before you get the Holy Ghost. You have to prepare your heart before Jesus can come in it. Uh, Jesus came. In fact, Luke chapter 13 verse 3. Jesus said, I tell you, no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You better repent. The last days of Jesus, or the last words, rather, uh, of Jesus before his ascension commanded them to repent. And in the day of Pentecost, it commanded them to repent as well. Repentance is key. And sometimes, let me me step away from the Bible study for a moment. Let me teach you as as just people. Sometimes we want to see the waters troubled and we want to see somebody speak in tongues. And we rush them through the repentance. Repentance is crucial. I, th- this is how I look at this. There, in, in the in the salvation, there, there's three elements there. Repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And each of them have a little bit different um, division of, of responsibility. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But in repentance, I alone am responsible for my repentance. Does that make sense? I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing in a sense super spiritual about repenting. You just got to be honest with yourself and say, I'm a sinner. Uh, I didn't mess up. I didn't slip and fall. I didn't make a mistake. I sinned and came short of the glory of God. Re- the baptism, Baptism has both your responsibility and God's responsibility. You got to be willing to go get wet you got to be willing to have faith that when you walk down in that water, that God's blood is going to save you from your sins. So there's an element of you in that. But absolutely, what really happens is that when you have done what you can do, get in the water in faith, the blood of Jesus Christ covers your sins. It washes them away. But the infilling of the Holy Ghost lies solely in His court. There's not anything that we can do. It's a gift from God. Does that make sense? So understand, so when you're talking to someone, when you're praying with someone, don't get so, don't go so fast through repentance that they don't get a chance to tell God they're sorry and to say, God, would you help me live separate from the way I've been? Aren't you thankful for His repentance, or for His forgiveness? Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, to... to To know everything that I've done in my life, and I don't want you to know it all. For you to know everything you've done in your life, and I certainly don't want to know what you've done. And to think that God will forgive us of that. It's amazing. And I'm thankful that he does that. Um, I want to do something tonight a little bit differently. We told you we were going to have a special speaker because uh, when I started all of this, I did not want to be the only one speaking. And so Brother Perryman, you've taken one whole lesson and have done it. And so up till now, you've only heard licensed preachers teach this. And I begin to think I've got somebody else next week that's going to teach this and I'm ex- or teach a part of it. But I, I, from the very beginning of this, I have decided that I want Brother Steve Williamson to come. And he's one of our new converts, and he has, uh, I think you've been baptized now a, a year and like two months, I believe. And I got to talking to Brother Steve. See, way back after Brother Steve got, uh, got baptized and got the Holy Ghost, he uh, started Bible studies with Brother Perryman. Uh, I came to a few of them, and then Sister uh, Stacy began to teach some of those. And then a few other people came and gathered some that needed to go through that. And, and uh, it's been fun to watch Brother Steve get excited. And so I wanted him to come and tell us what it really means to be baptized, but also to connect it to what it was like for him to get baptized. I want Brother Steve to come, and I want him to tell us about being buried with him in baptism.
1: pastor first started this series he said he wanted to prove that anybody could teach a bible study so this is his point if i can get up here and do it anybody can do it i got some scriptures here that all talk about the baptism matthew 28:19. go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost Mark sixteen sixteen, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. John three five, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Acts two thirty eight, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the holy ghost acts 8:16 for as yet he was fallen upon none of them only they were baptized in the name of the lord Jesus acts 8:38 and 39 and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him and when they were come up out of the water the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord then prayed they him to Tarry certain days acts twenty two sixteen and now, why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the lord acts nineteen five when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of lord jesus romans six four therefore We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And finally, Galatians 3.27, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. basic this this part just basically tells you actually what the baptism is the Word of God prescribes only one mode of water baptism immersion the word baptism is derived from the Greek word baptizo which means to dip to plunge to immerse immersion is important because only this mode preserves the significance of the baptism as a burial Repentance in the Bible is symbolic of death to sin and to the ungodly life before the encounter of Jesus Christ. Spiritually speaking, when a person repents, he is actually coming to the cross of Calvary. The old carnal nature is crucified with Christ. After death to sin, a person must be buried. Romans 6, 4. We are buried with him by baptism into death. In baptism, a person follows Jesus to the grave, but how is a person buried? Is he sprinkled with a few handfuls of dirt at a burial? Of course not. Proper burial requires complete submersion. And this next piece is basically explaining whose name you're baptized in. Moreover, Christian water baptism should be performed by evoking the name of Jesus. Jesus commanded the apostles in Matthew 28 19 to baptize in the name, singular, the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are titles of the one God that reveals aspects of his relationship to humanity. God has revealed himself. As Father in creation, He revealed Himself in the Son for our redemption, and He is Holy Ghost Spirit who generates and dwells within the believer. There is one supreme name of salvation that encompasses all three titles and the works they represent. That name is Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men where be we must be saved the apostles understood when they received the great commission now as as far as my own experience i uh i was 54 years old when i got baptized so i had a whole lot of time to sin before i came to god um and uh there's people right now. If you told I was standing in a pulpit at a church doing a Bible study, they would they would call you a liar. They'd say there's no way that guy is up there doing that. But um, I uh, came in because uh, I had a series of things go on in my life, and the final one was a an older woman showed up my door at 11 o'clock in the morning on a, where a day was already 100 degrees and uh, she told me the only reason that she came is the Lord told her to come to this house and tell the man that lived there that Jesus loved him. After that happened and there's a few other things before that I was, I was left just wondering if maybe I was wrong about how I felt about religion and Christianity and I just so happened to talk to my son that day, and he told me that I needed to stop by and talk to Pastor Buford. He said that I would get along with him, I'd have a lot in common with him, and he might be able to put a, put, give me the proper spin on what I've been going through and what's been happening in my life. Well, I, I came in on a Wednesday afternoon, talked to Pastor Buford for probably a good hour, and he said that the best thing I could do would be to come back that evening and come to the church and just check it out and see what I thought. Um, from that point, I was, I guess I was addicted. I mean, I, the first, the first couple months, I mean, I was pretty much sitting there dumbfounded because Pastor Buford was going through a lot of Old Testament stuff and he's mentioning the names, Abraham and Esau and all, and I'm, I don't have a clue who these people are. So, I mean, at the First couple months, most of the sermon went over my head because I didn't have a clue of what he was actually talking about because I didn't have any knowledge. Um, I got a Bible. I started reading it. Um, Then I finished it, and I got another Bible, and I read it. Now I'm on the New King James Version, and I'm starting it for the third time. Um, I can't remember the exact sermon that the pastor gave, but he gave a real powerful sermon. And after that sermon, I just knew I had to be baptized. I mean, I was tired of living the way I was living. And uh, the thought of not going to heaven scared me for the first time in my life. And I thought, I, I, want, I want them gold streets. I want a place where there's no pain. <laughs> I'm ready for it. So I, uh, after that service, I told Pastor, pastor Brieford and pastor keith that i wanted to wanted to be baptized and they said you want to wait until next week you can have your daughter and them come and i said no i want to do it right now <laughs> i need to do it right now and um was baptized and you know it was for me i can't speak for anybody else but for me it was an out-of-body experience i felt like i was up here and i it, I thought I was under the water for 15 minutes I mean that, that's what it felt like I just felt like I thought I was going to drown but uh when I came up it was just uh it wasn't newness I, I mean it was everything had changed and uh now I'm just I'm just trying to grow in my Christianity every day and uh if you haven't been baptized yet, I can tell you it's probably the greatest thing you could ever do in your life. Um, I would recommend it for everybody. Um, uh, my, Everybody now, it, it, well, my daughter and son-in-law have both been baptized at their church. And uh, for the first time, I, I feel good about myself because now I'm passing the Christianity on to my grandkids. And so now I'm going to have a, a generation is going to grow up with Jesus in their life, yes, yes. Where, where I didn't, yes. and uh, i I wish I would have. I mean, I could, if, if I could grow up like Pastor. I mean, I or got the Holy Ghost at an early age like Keith. I can just think of all the mistakes I may not have made. But uh, another thing is, while I'm up here, this church is more than just a church for me. It's like a family, and that's something I really like. I mean, people here stick together, and they pull for one another. And uh, I thank you all for being my brothers and sisters. Thank you very much.
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a few reasons I wanted to do that. Number one, if you're going to read the Bible two and a half times in one year, might as well get a chance to talk about what you're reading. And um, uh, I remember that he'd come up and say, Now, now what exactly do you mean by that? And we'd talk about it. But, but this is the whole key. And, and next year we're going to be hitting this. I don't want you to get tired of it, but we're going to hit a lot. And that is, it, it, when, when we do a Bible study, it's more than just wanting someone to, to find a place of salvation but we want them to be a new creature in Christ Jesus and to grow. And then in turn, they begin to teach someone, and you begin to create disciples, and you begin to to multiply that. And so I wanted you to see that, that you don't have to be a licensed preacher to teach a home Bible study. I just want you to believe what we're preaching. And when you've experienced it, and one of the greatest things you can ever do is talk about your experience and what God has done for you, because no one can argue with that. They can argue doctrine all they want. But when you see someone, and and, and you'll have to talk to Brother Steve and let him tell you uh, more of his life story. But, but, you know, if Steve walked over to a, to a job now and started telling them all this doctrine, they might say, well, I don't believe any of that. But when Steve can walk in and and his 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 language has changed and his desires have changed and they start saying, Who are you? What what did you do with Steve? They can't argue with that. And and I think when we do our Bible studies, we need to give uh, some of our personal experiences in that as well. Let me just let me just end it with, with the the receiving of the Holy Ghost, the third step of that plan is to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. If repentance, as Brother Steve said, if repentance is that death and baptism is that burial, then the, receive, the infilling of the Holy Ghost is that new life, that, that resurrection that happens. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 8. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not his. Now, that's a negative statement, but here's the positive statement. I want to be his. What you said, I want to go to heaven. I mean, why in the world would you not want to go to heaven where it says there'll be no sorrow there, no more tears to dim the eye, no more sadness. I want that. I've got enough of, of of heartache here on earth I don't need to go for eternity of heartache and pain but I want to be his and if I have to be here if I'm going to be his then I have to be uh I have to be I have to be, have the spirit of Christ and and it's that privilege that was bought on Calvary where Jesus died for our sins but he also did so that he could come and live inside of you we do we do um children's services my wife and I and We've got a couple camps next year that we're going to do. In fact, next year for, for one week we're going to be in, in Tennessee uh, preaching every night at a children's crusade across the state of Tennessee. And and one of the sermons that we do, we, we bring a little puppet stage up and we talk about what it means to get the Holy Ghost. And we have, we have a big heart on the puppet stage and the devil walks in and he gets in that heart and he trashes that heart. And then we talk about Jesus, but it's that simple. Jesus lives in you and if Jesus is living in you then when temptation comes and knocks on your door you let Jesus answer the door and I promise you you'll start living right does that make sense I know that's simplistic that's how I tell children what the Holy Ghost is it's Jesus in you in fact Peter when he preached on the day of Pentecost later on he, he said uh, l- later on he said that it was, It was that the Creator is dwelling in His creation through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then He rephrases that, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, people are going to know you received it. God refused to allow it to be just something that you could say, well, I think I got it. I think I I have it. Yeah, I, I think I did. He said, no, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In that upper room, there was 120 people. There was the disciples. There were followers of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Uh, All of Jesus' brothers were there. And the Bible says when they received the Holy Ghost, all of them were filled. Again, just one more reminder that the Holy Ghost is for whosoever will. It was for the men. It was for the ladies. I'm convinced there were children in that group that would have received it. It was family units that got it. It was generations that received it. Later on in Acts chapter 8, we find that the Samaritans, those half-Jew people, the ones that were half-Jew and uh, uh, half-Gentile, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when they did, there was a miraculous outward sign that occurred so that everyone around them knew that they had received the gift of the Holy Ghost and Simon the sorcerer saw that and he said, I want that gift. And of course, you know the story, Acts chapter 8 doesn't come by that. When Cornelius and the Gentiles uh, received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says, and the Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and his household and they spoke with other tongues. And this is what the Bible said, for those that were of the circumcision, Peter and those that came with Peter, heard them speak with other tongues, and knew God had poured out the Holy Ghost on those Gentiles. In Acts chapter 19, some of John the Baptist's disciples were there, and the Bible says that they had heard the words of Paul. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And if you look through the, the, the book of Acts, you will find that every outpouring of God's Spirit people could tell what was happening. And that holds true today. I want us to stand uh, as I end this last.